I used to think, well, they'll be upset with me. And, and at the end of the day, I'm going to put my children and my family in an uncomfortable situation because someone might be upset with me. No. no. You value no. yourself and your children way more than what somebody might think. Exactly. And again, that comes back to where is your value? Mm-hmm. Where is your worth? Where does that come from? Hello, and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Hello, Healing Trauma Mamas. Welcome back to the podcast today. My goal um, with this podcast is that every woman's journey that is shared, that it would be something that is encouraging to you, that you see maybe the trauma that they've been through, but the obstacles they've overcome, the, the mountains that they have climbed to get to where they are and the healing that has ultimately been brought to them where they are in the process of happening. And um, today's guest is a, a very special friend of mine. Um, and she has so graciously been willing to come on the podcast and share her story. With that being said, would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, everyone. Yes, um, Madonna is a special friend of mine, for sure. My name is Jocelyn Hendricks. Um, I grew up in West Texas area. I'm 31. I am a mom of four. And so my oldest is 14, which means, yes, I had her when I was 17. And then I have a 12-year-old, a five-year-old, and a four-year-old. Yeah, sweet little bunches of joy. We have a blast when when Jocelyn brings her kiddos over combined with my six and we have quite the house full and there's everybody running and playing and and it's it's a blast. Um so Jocelyn has um shared her testimony with me some before and we've got to talk a little bit about kind of the amazing journey that the Lord has brought her on, um, in her life and, and what he's done and, and the obstacles that she's overcome. And, and I know every day I just, there's new things, right? There's, there's new things that are happening in both of our lives. And in your life, I know that every day, like the Lord's just showing you new things and you're seeing new growth and there is still more healing and more healing that's been coming. And I would love to, uh, kind of delve into, basically your beginning, um, kind of, um, share with the listeners, if you don't mind, just kind of how you started, I guess, um, maybe a little bit of your growing up, if you'd like, or where you would like to jump in. Oh, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, I, I did, I grew up out here in West Texas area. Well, I was originally from New Mexico. Um, I actually didn't speak English until I was seven years old. And so my mom, she was a single mom. Um, I've actually never met my father ever. And so in the Hispanic culture at the time, for him to be with my mom, she had my older two sisters. He asked her to give up my older two sisters and then they could start a family on their own with just me. So my mom said no, because it was tradition for them to go with my grandmother. My grandma would raise my, um, my older two sisters and then my mom and my dad and myself would kind of have this whole new family. So kind of a fresh start, right? And so my mom said, no, you know, that was like, no, I'm not going mm. to do that. So being a single mom. Um, and so growing up, I, I really didn't feel like I missed out. I had incredible uncles who really just, 
were like fathers to me. Um, they may not have been the best influences because, you know, they were only about 10 years older than me. And so growing up watching them kind of taught me what men were like. And I always had kind of this, um, this weird relationship with men growing up. And so anyway, we move over to Texas. I don't speak a word of English. I go to a school where they don't speak any Spanish. And so oh, no. in order to... <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare or a dream of mine. <laughs> so you basically just have to adapt. I mean, you really have to. And so it was just go, just go into class and start and start trying. Well, it's great. The way that it worked out was I started picking it up. Um, I picked up English pretty quickly to the point of now as an adult, I, I hear in English, I speak in English, and I don't hear and speak in Spanish the same way. So someone who normally is raised that way, they hear everything in Spanish in their heads. And when they translate it out, they have to remember to translate it to English. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, mine's the opposite now. So English has become my primary language. Wow. And so it's actually really neat the way languages work. And, and you just have to just dive into them and be ready to learn. And so if I hadn't had the desire to learn and to make friends and to do this, you know, it would have been really difficult for me. Mm. And so I think I was always stubborn. I was <laughs> always stubborn. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah. I think you would know that for sure when you yeah. met me. <laughs> and so um, after that, you know, I lived all over my mom again, single mom. So we, you know, we raised ourselves for a lot of our lives um, she ended up marrying a man who was, who was not good for her, was not good for us. Um, he basically married her to have access to her daughters. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we did grow up with that and that was something hard for my sisters and myself, but we didn't talk about it because in our culture, you don't talk about those things. You know, I remember locking myself in a bathroom and just hiding from one of my uncles because he was drunk and banging on the door asking me to come out. And I was only 11. So it was, you know, told my mom, she said, you know, we just, we don't talk about it. We, we just don't talk about those things. There's a lot of things you just don't talk about. And so, um, you know, we went through this for, for years and my older sister ended up, you know, being with a man who physically abused her and um, forced her to have an abortion. He beat her. And so, um, you know, she was just doing everything she could to get out of the house to just get out of the household. My other sister, same thing, jumped into another man's arms to get out of the household. Mm. He ends up, you know, kicking us out of his home. And he tells my mom, you know, you can come live with me, but your daughters have to live somewhere else. So my mom was so warped in this marriage and this relationship that she said, okay. And so she got us a little house and we went and lived in the house. And my older sister was 18 and um, at the time I was about 14 and she would take me to school every day. She dropped out. She dropped out of high school, but she had to take care of me and she had to help with that. Um, I got real involved in drugs. You know, that's always our escape. We find a way to escape things, right? Yeah. We, when we don't know God, we look for something to fill the void, something. Yeah. And so I got heavily involved in drugs. Um, that's when I started realizing food was a crutch also. So I started overeating. I started not taking care of my health. I mean, I was 15 and already severely overweight. Um, I was just smoking marijuana all the time. I was doing heavy drugs. Uh, my uncle had just gotten into prison. 
So I didn't have him there to protect me anymore either. And I was 16 when I ended up getting a job. And at the job, I found a man. I found a man who could help me escape. And so I escaped into his arms um, and he was not a good one. You know, that's typically what happens if um, they take you from, you know, have you met someone who ends up with someone older? You're, I was 16. He was yeah. 19. You know, like he just took me into his arms and, and we lived on couches and different apartments and, you know, all these things because that was my escape. And I thought this is better than I, where I was. Mm. you know and and so we get lost in that and we think that you know this is a way out and really I was just kind of digging deeper and deeper into into depression into finding out you know just I was not healing yeah you know and so I ended up getting pregnant at 16 I did graduate high school you know pregnant got to walk the stage with my oldest in my belly and so um you know, that was just a big old blessing in itself. I, I had, I, for someone who did so much drugs and all that, I had a great mm-hmm. grade. I, I sure did like academics. All and right. so it was weird, you know, it just, I, I got good grades and I was able to graduate. Um, but after that, him and I just bounced around so often. I mean, I don't think my daughters had a home mm-hmm. ever. You know, there was so much bouncing around. He could not keep a job. Um, he was very angry all the time. And his escape was video games. It's mm-hmm. a typical. I mean, that's a that's our, our new this culture that we're in. And, and a lot of these men in their 30s and 40s now, I mean, that is a big go to is video games. It's part of their escape. Exactly. And that was his escape. His escape was video games to the, you know, to the extreme that he would not go to work, mm. that he would not eat, that he would not feed our daughters. You know, I had my oldest when I was 17 and I was 18. I had my other daughter. We were together. And I remember there would be times where I would be working because one of us had to work. And I'd come home and she wouldn't have eaten. You know, they wouldn't have eaten. And and they were babies. They needed formula. They needed to eat on a schedule. Yeah. You know, and it was, if I didn't live with someone else, you know, I didn't have someone else to help me. And, and he just, he had multiple affairs. He would, you know, bring women into the house while I was at work. I worked full time. Um, And I just kept thinking, you know, I grew up without a father. I don't want my girls to grow up without a father. Yeah. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, it made you feel kind of stuck, huh? Because you didn't want to repeat that. But yet at the same time, while staying there, you were causing many other issues that they were going to have to deal with. Exactly. And so I was warped into this thinking that, you know, he'll get better. He just needs, I, I just need to push him. I need to help him. I need constantly, you know, I helped him get his GED. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped him find multiple jobs. We burned every family bridge that I had you know, or my family was just like, they didn't want anything to do with me because, well, I was always borrowing money. I was always, you know, needing somewhere to stay. It was just constant, constant. And looking back now, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. There has to be a point where people tell you no. Mm-hmm. When you're in this hole, you know, that you aren't digging yourself out of, they have to tell you no, because they love you. 
Yeah. God tells us no all the time. And so we, I was with him for um, five years. He did become violent. Um, there was several times where, especially when it came to the video games, it would be bizarre. He wasn't an alcoholic. He didn't do drugs. He was just addicted to video games. Hmm. And when he would lose his video games, when he would lose these things, he would break TVs. He would break out windows. He would put holes in the wall. He would throw things at us. Um, wow. You know, it was it was so bizarre. But it was, looking back now, I see that, okay, well, he didn't sleep, first of all. He didn't eat proper. Mm-hmm. All he did was sit and play video games. His body just was dying away. And so all of those hormones and imbalances and all of these things and testosterone all comes into play and rage was his answer Mm. you know and so it was almost about six months before the relationship finally ended um he threw a set of keys at my face out of anger we were having a fight and I would yell at him too you know that was like it was a back and forth at one point where it would just be we were so toxic for each other Um, But he threw a set of keys at my face and it hit my eye, my right eye. And that was traumatic enough that ended up taking the vision from my eye. And, you know, I didn't understand like what is going. So I go to different doctors. Um, You know, at the time when you're on low income, you do get Medicaid and Medicaid does allow you to get into some doctors. And Mm -hmm. I was able to find out. And they told me that, you know, due to trauma, your eye bled open and then it scarred. And because you didn't get here fast enough, the scar solidified and you won't ever get your vision back. Mm. And so I ended up struggling so bad with that thinking, now I'm broken. Now I'm even more mm. broken. What is, what, what's going to happen? So I went to a judge and it's so funny. I applied for disability and they put me before a judge. And he said, he said, one of the greatest things I said, well, you have two eyes. And he denied my disability. Good for him. I know. Yeah. And so haven't you met today now you can kind of get disability for anything. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I've heard. I mean, pretty much anything. So, and did he talk to you about like, Hey, this is for your good. Like if, cause I could just imagine if he had put you on disability, then internally what you would have thought that okay so now I'm not good for much else you know now somebody else is going to be paying the bills for me now I'm gonna um not be able to do much for the rest of my life because of this disability instead of the opposite where yes okay one eye is injured I've got another good working eye I can do a lot so you know I didn't at the time I just thought he was being mean Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, he didn't say, because you, when you apply for disability, I was in a room of a judge and three other people. One was a reporter, the court reporter, mm-hmm. and those two other people, not really sure what they were. Um, but, you know, it was just sat down, he looked at it, and he basically said, well, you have two good eyes. And that was the only contact I had with him. Okay. And then they told me to leave. And so that was it. And I was just, what? I was confused. I I was like, Mm -hmm. people get disability for the, you know, weirdest things and all this. And I thought I was entitled to it. I thought, well, now I don't, I can't see, you know, and, and I didn't even have my driver's license because I thought 
I'm, I'm not going to pass the driver's license test because I'm not going to be able to see proper. Like I let this become something more than it was. Mm. And my husband was um, very quick to jump on this bandwagon because this is free money. I don't have to take care of the kids. She'll be home to take care of them, but our bills will be paid. And I get to just sit mm-hmm. and play video games all day. I mean, he would stay up all hours, all hours. He would bring strangers into the house while I was at work. He would take my car to pick up women and go on dates with, you know, even my daughters in the car. It would, you know, he was just looking at this that way. And so he was real um, quick to tell me, this isn't fair. You need to try again. You need to fight for this. And little did we know God was just working all this out because it was about three months after I got denied that we got into a huge fight. And what happened was I was waiting tables overnight and I got home and Bella, which is um, not my oldest daughter, but my other daughter, she had um, vomit coming out of her mouth and was laying on the couch, spitting up. How old was she at this time? Huh? How old was she at this time? Um, well, she was uh, maybe nine months or so. Mm. And so she was spitting up. I walked in and he was sitting there with the headphones on playing a video game. Mm. She did not turn herself over. She didn't any of that. I grabbed her, picked her up. She had a diaper just full, just a mm. full diaper, vomit coming, you know, and it was it was just a huge fight, but I didn't leave. It actually turned into a bigger fight that he kicked me out. Wow. He said, I want you to leave and I want you and the girls to leave. And, you know, I, I'm little, so you probably can't tell from this uh, video, from this audio, but I'm short. I'm only five feet tall. Um, and he was bigger than me, you know? And so he was just throwing my stuff out, just mm. get out. And so, um, we slept in my car and then I called one of my very dear friends. Um, we only became friends because she ended up um, dating one of my ex-husband's best friends and my ex-husband's best friend knew he's not, he's not good for you. So he became my friend and mm-hmm. she was his new um, girlfriend. So I called her and she drove two hours to come pick me up and help me get all my stuff. And she said, you can come, you know, I called my mom before she came and my mom had said, no, you can't stay with me. And so that was hard because I thought, you know, after everything Mm -hmm. she would, she'd welcome us back. And it was, no, you can't, you know, and so ended up moving on to and living at my friend's apartment. Um, She, they had their own family, their own kids, their own thing. And then they just welcomed us into their home. Hmm. And he told us, you know, he was his best friend. And he said, I'm not friends with him anymore. I'm going to help you. You know, and so that was, that was really just, it was hard for two weeks. I knew I cannot have any contact with my ex-husband. Like I'm far enough away. That he can't come see me, that he can't come visit and can't reel me back in but that battle of wanting to go back of, mm-hmm. of wanting what was familiar was still there. Yeah. You know, that, that gets talked about a lot, you know, in abusive situations that it's so hard that there is this, this pull back into the relationship um, for multiple different reasons of why you were staying there in the first place. Um, because 
it's interesting when you delve into it, why some people, when some type of abuse happens immediately, like, nope, we're done. We're out of here. And other people keep staying and keep staying. And most of the times those ones that keep staying, there's something internal, um, that they believe they deserve that situation. And a lot of times it comes out because maybe, you know, when they were children, there were some things that happened, then they were told they deserved a situation or they were told that's just how things are. And obviously in your case, you were told pretty much, you know, that's just how things are. We don't talk about it. And so I'm sure there was some of that. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just thinking about that internal viewpoint of yourself, um, cause you don't, did you ever have the viewpoint of like, I deserve better than this, or I, you know, I should be valued and I need to be away from the situation because of that. Uh, no, that, that never, I never had someone say that ever. You know, I remember showing up at my mom's house with a black eye and my sisters were there and they said, did he do that? And I didn't say anything. And they just were like, oh, and that was the end of that conversation. Wow. You know, that, that was it. And so it was never had anyone say you should leave. You don't have to be there. Like, and if I ever did, I didn't hear them. They didn't do anything. They didn't say anything. Um, you know, it was his whole family was very toxic in that way that Mm -hmm. they were, you know, you're lucky he's with you because he was handsome. Mm -hmm. He was handsome man. And so, you know, that was that, you know, I'm never going to do better than him. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, that was just one time where, but they knew what was happening. You know, they knew all these things were going on, but like you said, it was, let's just not, we don't talk about those things. We just yeah. kind of push them under the rug. And that's something that I have, as I've gotten older, it's just, it is, it's angers me to think how many times that has happened where everything is just swept under the rug because prevent so many things or at least have justice for some people. Yeah. You know, if people just talked, you just talk to each other. Well, and if you valued that other person enough to listen to what they're saying and then see how you can actually help the situation, Um, and I mean, I, I go back to, and I'm sure we're going to end up talking about this a little bit more later, but building up that self-esteem and self-confidence as a young woman, that knowing that, Hey, I am worth more than this. Like I, I do deserve to be cherished and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a precious child of the Lord and to be treated like this is not okay. And that needs to be valued because I value others in that same way as well. And it's something that you're going to be taught one way or the other when you're young. So you're either going to be taught you're not worth it. Don't expect anything different. Sweep it under the rug. We don't talk about it. Just swallow it down and accept it. Or they're going to be taught the opposite. No, you are a precious, valuable gift and, and somebody should understand and honor and respect that and staying in a situation that is not okay, that you, you can stand up for yourself. Exactly. And so I remember reading something that said, 
overprotective mothers were once underprotected daughters. Oh. And yeah. it's absolutely true. Um, from the day my girls could talk, I started talking to them about where someone could touch them, what couldn't happen. I mean, there was, I had was not, I didn't allow people to be alone with my daughters. Mm -hmm. um, there was so much fear of men in general for a long time because I thought the only men I had contact with were these types of men um, growing up and I had my uncles. Now, mm -hmm. again, my uncles, were, they were not this way. I mean, they had their, their vices. They had drugs. Drugs got a hold of them young. Um, but my uncles protected me for the most part. But once they went to jail, it was free, you know, from other people to mm -hmm. go in and allow these things to happen. And so I found out as I got older, my sisters, the reason they were kind of minding their own business was because they had their whole, their own ordeals from different family members. Um, my older sister was drugged when she was about 15 and taking her virginity from one of our family members. Um, my stepfather, again, had just over years, you know, had done things to all three of us that even we weren't aware of, even when we were in the same household. Um, yeah. And so we just didn't know he was very good at this. Well, and because you and were told you don't talk about that stuff. So why would you ever talk about it with each other? And there's always this aura of shame around those types of things. So if I spoke it to somebody else and that's that my shame coming out to even express or say the words of what's been going on. Exactly. Exactly. It's that's, it's putting it out there, making it more real, I think, than what it is. I can deal with it. How many times do we tell ourselves, I can deal with this. I can figure this out. I, I, I. But had and you so, known it was happening with your sisters, what would you have done? Well, so when my sister was dating the the man who beat her, and, and forced her to get an abortion. When I found out, I um, chased his car down with a baseball bat, you know, <laughs> and so there, there might've been a little more chaos, I think, had we had known what was happening to each other, maybe. Right. Uh, and so, but that was, again, we didn't talk about it. Um, I know I had told my mom at one point what was happening. I remember waking up on the couch um, because there was only a two bedroom. So I slept on the couch, which meant I had, I had free access to me all the time. Mm. But I remember waking up and I told him, stop touching me. And he goes to the bathroom and my mom comes out and I said it loud. And she woke up and she's like, what's going on? And I told her, well, she follows him to the bathroom, talks to him, comes back. She says, he says he was just giving you a good night kiss. And then she goes to her room. Oh. That was the only thing. And I, I remember losing so much respect for her in that moment that I just told you as, as best as a 12 year old girl could say it mm -hmm. and you missed me and you walked away. Mm. And then next night, guess where I slept back on the couch. Mm. So it was okay. Well, I tried, you know, I tried and it didn't work. So that leads into different, you know, as I got older with, with my ex-husband, well, you know, there was different moments where I did try to say things. And I remember telling his mom, you know, why is he so mean? And his mom, her response to me was, well, why are you such a crybaby? Mm. 
you know, so there was different times where you can pinpoint where you do try in a sense to ask for help, but they don't hear you or you're not being heard. You, you just, you never know what is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're always so self-involved. I think that if someone was to tell us that they're being hurt or something, we might not even listen and hear them, you know? And so I always have to show them grace because I, I could have been in my own little world and someone said something to me. Yeah. You know? And unintentionally was dismissive. Um, I yeah. think all of us have been guilty of that at times, you know, when we really did not intend to dismiss what somebody was saying to us, but we didn't know the weight that they had put on what they were telling us, you know, and to us, it sounded like a minor thing at the moment. And we didn't delve in to ask questions to find out more detail to find out, you know, what exactly is going on. And I think a lot of that's just being intentional with people too. We're in a society where we're so distracted, where we're so um, here and there, and just, it's also superficial um, that we're not getting, you know, really to know each other in depth and to be intentional with our relationships where we would notice something like that. Exactly. You're right. And so, there, there has to be intentionality in our friendships, in our relationships, in the way that we speak to our children mm-hmm. and the way that we speak to our spouse. Um, but, you know, again, going back to that, I had that friend who, when I called her, she showed up mm-hmm. and her husband, you know, and they, they just took us in. And so we lived on that couch. I lived on that couch. I went from one couch being 12, you know, to another couch in my early twenties, but this one was safer. This one was in her, their home. And I, we lived there for one year, Mm. you know, there was five children sharing one bedroom. Um, that was her and her husband in another room and then me on the couch. And it was honestly one of the best times I've Mm. ever had. Um, we joked, we laughed, we, we rotated chores. She taught me how to be patient how to speak lovingly to my children she taught me how so much because she was raised in a household of um, 11 brothers and sisters and her mom was such a testimony um, Mm. to help her and so she knew how to do this and she taught me how and so she's still a dear friend to me now Um, but I ended up enrolling in school there Um, I ended up enrolling in college and I found a domestic violence shelter and at this place, you apply to get in. And the way that God works is it's it's incredible mm-hmm. because, you know, living on this couch for so long, we I was not supposed to be living there. You know, an apartment, there are leases, there are things you're supposed to be doing. Um, and so it was, I need to get out of my own, but I could not afford to live on my own. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to financially be able to get out there. And so he wasn't paying child support. Um, He hadn't seen the girls. He hadn't talked to them. You know, there was, he didn't financially take care of us when we were together. So there was no expectation of that to happen after. Mm -hmm. Um, But I enrolled in school and I applied at this program. It's called Buckner out in West Texas. And what they do is they give you an apartment and they help you basically become an adult and they teach you your value. They teach you your relationship with God. They teach you how to become self-sufficient Um, And there's a lot of rules to it because a program like this has to have rules because rules Mm -hmm. and God has rules for us, you know, Mm -hmm. that we we stay within these to help us for our protection. And that's what this place was. So I had heard about it. Well, I went on a Wednesday 
and I went and I put my application in and there said it's an 18 month waiting list. I said, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and put my name down anyway. Um, That Friday morning, they called me and they said, look, if you can get all of this paperwork in, we will put you at the top of the list and you'll move in. So I went on a Wednesday and I said, I can. I have been a paper hoarder my whole life. If there's a document, I don't know. If I don't throw documents away, I don't, I keep everything. So when they said you need this, 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 and this, I mean, it was a stack. I mm-hmm. had, yay. I had everything except bank statements, but I drove to the bank, got all the statements, drove back. I had just gotten out of class that afternoon. And so I took it up there and she said, okay, you're going to move in Monday. Awesome. And so it was, you know, I ended up meeting her. She's an amazing, incredible woman out in West Texas. Um, She's been known as one of the top women in the USA. She got noticed last year because she just has always been an advocate for women. Um, And her name is Anna Rodriguez. She now helps with um, sex trafficking victims. Oh, great. And so she's just an incredible, she was, you know, I walked in and she's, and she's tough. I'm talking just a tough woman. Mm -hmm. And. It was like, these are the rules. And I said, okay. And they walked me into an apartment, the most beautiful apartment I'd ever seen. They put furniture in there. Um, Carter's delivered brand new beds for us. And we had our own beds. You know, I remember one apartment with my ex-husband was so roach infested mm-hmm. that when I bombed it, it was as if raisins lived. Just someone threw boxes of raisins on the floor. Oh. And my girls were sleeping in playpens and in beds in this. And this is what we had. And so when I walked into this apartment, it was clean. All the other women there go into the apartment and they clean it up for you. And they leave you a gift basket. And Mm. it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. And I ended up living there for three and a half years. I've got um, my degree in marketing while I was there. And I just learned so much. Mm. Programs like that, I just they need to exist. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so there was classes you have to take. Your grades have to stay high. You have to be involved in a church, not their specific church, but a church. Okay. You have to go into these budget classes. I mean, all of these things you would think you would know as an adult and yet you don't. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that's not taught, even though like you, you went to high school and yeah. you, you graduated. Um, there's still so much about life that isn't taught to us, like how to balance a checkbook and, you know, um, just the daily, you know, things that you have to do as an adult. Absolutely. And and then they even taught me nutrition. Mm-hmm. They taught me about my body. They taught me how, you know, your body needs to be cared for. And then they put me through counseling. And that was I, I had always thought counseling, especially going back to the culture, I always thought counseling was for weak people. Mm-hmm. I thought you don't talk about your problems, you get over it. Right. Mm. And so when they put you through counseling, it's almost, it's a force, they don't force you to go, but it's a requirement. Mm-hmm. You've gone through something to get to this place. You are living in a domestic violence shelter. Yeah. We all need counseling. <laughs> But <laughs> when you've been through something like that, you absolutely need counseling. And so I walked into a counseling center and it took months for me to really just open up to her about everything, about everything going on. And she taught me this relationship with men 
on how to have boundaries. Mm -hmm. And because I was so extreme, you know, you meet people who are so extreme. Um, My sister, my sister is actually the extreme other way where she has zero trust for men. She's been with her, her husband um, since she was 15. She's 35 now. Um, but she does not trust any men. She, there's been times where she hasn't trusted him, where she just, she has two daughters and she cannot trust men at all. Um, sad in a, in a marriage for sure that you can't trust your husband. Yes. It's gotten to, you know, and there's just been different things that she hasn't worked through. Um, but he's been so patient, so loving with Mm her and I've been together 20 years, you know, um, and then sometimes you go to the opposite extreme where, where you just want that affection back. Mm-hmm. We just want some man to make you feel better, to make you feel worthy, to make you feel. And so I was starting to spiral in that place to where, oh, I could just date anyone. Mm-hmm. I could just talk to just a guy friend, mm-hmm. just, a, you know, oh, yeah, let me just talk to this guy. He, he's just flirtate, you know, thinking, OK, let me start going that way. And the, the counselor, she remember, she got really frustrated with me. She told me they are not your friends. Mm -hmm. They are specifically trying to have a physical relationship with you. Do you understand that? You know, and I had not known Christ yet. And I was just thinking, you know, very worldly about relationships. And, and that's when she started telling, you know, when she had always told me and pointed me to the gospel, every counseling session. But this is when I first really heard her. Mm. You know, she said, do you understand that you're worth more than that? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I guess. She said, no, do you understand what you're worth? And then she told me about Christ. And she told me about Jesus and told me about him dying on the cross. And, you know, everything that he had done in his life. And I was that I was raised Catholic. Um, but that was the first time I'd ever heard of really Jesus, Mm. not baby Jesus, not that little baby Jesus, Mary's baby, you know, but this was Jesus who lived a sinless life and died the death for us. You know, that's what you're worth. Do you understand that? And he was and a I real was, picture of a, a man and how he behaves and walks and and treats others and compassion and all of that. Exactly. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. How Christ loved the church, loved his bride, what he calls a man and a woman, what he calls people to be treated like. You know, she started explaining this person to me. And I was like, who, who is this? You know, mm-hmm. what are you really talking about? And that's when, you know, she, in a counseling center, she asked me, you know, do you repent? And I remember breaking down crying and saying, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. And she said, well, how do you want to live? And that was when I gave my life to Christ in that, in that room and cried out to her and she helped me and we cried and we prayed together. And that was almost the last time I saw her because after that, it was about two sessions after that, she ended up going to a different center because Mm. that one got shut down. And so it was walking out of there um, and just, Oh, what do I do now? Like what I was excited. What, Mm -hmm. What do I do now though? And so I ended up meeting a lady at a trunk or treat at a church event. She invited me to her church and I walked into this church and I started going there. 
And it was, I didn't really learn much that first year other than these Christians are kind of nice people, (laughs) you know, being raised the way I was raised. I was, I never interacted with Christians my whole life. Hmm. And, and I don't remember them. I don't, I had not met anyone in my family who resembled Christ, who talked about him, um, didn't know that. And I spent a year in her church and meeting these people who were just so, so nice. Mm. And I was thinking, what do they want from me? Mm. What do these people want from me? Yeah, because that's the picture you've seen up till now. Exactly. What, What do these people need from me? What do they want? What are they judging? What are they saying? Mm-hmm. What if they find out I live at Buckner, uh, the domestic violence shelter? What if they find out, you know, I was an abused wife? What if they find out I was molested? What if they find out all these things? What are they going to say? Always running through my head to where I couldn't, I still couldn't have genuine friendships. It was so difficult mm-hmm. to have real friendships um, because I just didn't trust people. Um, Jesus. I trust Jesus. You know, Jesus is not going to do this. Jesus is going to be the one with me, crying out to him. But what I didn't know was that lady who invited me to church was slowly implanting friendships and different things in my heart where she didn't want anything from me. Mm -hmm. She just, do you want to come out to eat with us? I'd be like, well, you know, I was a single mom. I could not afford to go eat with them. And she would say, it's my treat. Mm -hmm. It was always her treat. Just come eat with us. Just come spend time with us. Do you want to go to the park with us? And just spend time with her. And I was like, why does she want to spend time with us? <laughs> you know, I was just so confused thinking, always have wondering what was on the other side of this. You know, what what do they really, what do they really think? Yeah. Um, and so over time, my, my heart, all of that, um, it just started to chisel out. And so during those counseling times, I did have a heart to heart with my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember calling her and telling her why, you know, this was after he, he kicked my mom out, by the way, my stepdad kicked her out, left her for a younger woman. Um, she ended up moving into a mobile home by herself um, with my little sister and just trying to do it by herself. And I remember, you know, I called her and we had a heart to heart and it was, you know, I told her, I forgive you. I forgive you for what you did because you didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. And that was, I read the gospels and and he said, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Mm-hmm. And so I told her, I forgive you. For, you know, and she cried out and she said, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. I'm so sorry that I let this happen to you. I, I don't remember. And it's almost as if she was in this fog mm-hmm. and I, remember the fog god saved us from you know staying she was with you know my uh, her ex-husband for longer than i was with mine so he he had mercy on my marriage to where he ended it pretty quickly um and for her she was with him for a long time and the way he ended it was just left her for a younger woman and then mm. kicked her out and so we we i was able to work through that with her but i had to be very honest with everything that happened and made sure she heard me. Mm-hmm. There was no more sweeping it under the rug. There was no, I told you. And I remember that night that you walked away. It was, we cried out to you. It was, you left us. It, she had to hear all of the things in order for me to, to say, but I forgive you. 
you know, and it was, there's always this thing that people say, you forgive them for yourself. And it was, no, you forgive them because we have been forgiven of so much. Right. You know, it's, it's Jesus has forgiven us. He's forgiven me daily for the life that I cannot live, what he deserves from me. He's forgiven me for, for so much. Who am I to hold that against anyone else? Well, yeah, it's not going to help anybody by doing that. I mean, we, he gave freely and we are to freely give as well. Exactly. And so that was something that, you know, I had to really work on. And my sister, my older sister called me after I had that conversation with my mom and she told me, did you really tell her all this? Cause I guess my mom had called her after. And I said, yeah. And that's when we had a conversation and she finally told me what had happened to her. Mm. And this is why she, we were so distant from each other. And, and she still has to work, you know, work through all that. And, and it's really hard because I thought that she just didn't like me, that she was mad at me, that she had to help raise me. She, she did more raising me than my mom did. She would make sure we were fed. She would make sure I got to school. She did all these things, but I thought it's because I was a burden. No, it's because she was struggling with her own, her own worthiness, you know, her own struggles. Yeah. And that's so often the case, right? And this isn't the first time that I've heard of different um, sisters, siblings, um, situations happening where they were all being abused but nobody spoke about it. So nobody knew. And then as adults, they had such terrible relationships with each other. And until somebody finally speaks up and then this person over here says, oh, me too. And me too. And then they all realize that they actually all had these traumas in common, but they didn't have the, um, they weren't able to group together at that time about it and stand up for themselves. And so each one was experiencing um, trying to walk through that as an adult and figuring out where they are. And so then just having that information and knowing like, Hey, they were going through the stuff that I was going through too. And because of that stuff that has changed their trajectory and their perspective on life and gotten them to where they are at this moment, just like you and where you were. And so they all, have their own journey of learning and growing. But when you find out, like, you know, when you find somebody else who's been through the same thing you've been through, there's a connection and, and there's a like, oh, you understand where I'm coming from. And so I'm as adults, when you discover those things, how, how has that changed at all in that relationship? So it definitely changed it. Um, my, not my oldest sister, but Mm -hmm. the other sister under her, she recently became a Christian um a year and a half ago and so we had always we started to heal our relationship because like I said when I was with my ex-husband I burned a lot of bridges Mm -hmm. I did hurt them and I had to apologize and ask for forgiveness from my sisters um and I'm not sure if they ever truly forgave me that was something you know they had to do on their own but my other sister became a Christian and we we now have conversations we now talk Mm -hmm. to each other we now, you know, rely on each other when we're going through something. And so, you know, it's taken a long time, but because, you know, we were able to put that out in the air for us to be open about it. There's not that hidden, you know, that, that elephant in the room between right. us. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. 
Good. I'm glad. And that just facilitates for more, more healing and more growth in the future for you guys as well. Well, absolutely. And it, it affects the way I raise my daughters mm-hmm. it that I, I, I talk to them and the way I tell them to talk to each other, you know, siblings will be your best friend. They, they will be around you longer than your parents will longer than your children probably will. Like you don't know they'll be, your children will have their own families. They'll move on. You know, your siblings will too, but you're actually going to spend more time together. And that should be your best friend. Yeah. And you have the you know, shared I, connection of this time frame that was this formative years that you spent together that that will never change. Nothing will change that you have that connection and you had that time together. Exactly. And and I tell them, God gave you a best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my girls are a year and a half apart. Um, my boys are a year and a half apart. Tell them, God gave y'all your own best friend, you know, to have. And and it's so important that y'all just talk to each other, that y'all don't hide things from each other, that y'all talk to me. You know, I'm very open and honest with them mm-hmm. about the world and what could happen. And, and not in a way to take away their innocence, but yeah. in a way to make them aware. Or create fear, but in a way to empower instead so that they have information and, and they know how to stand up for themselves. Yes. And that I always have their back. Yeah. You know, that's something that at, I have always, I will advocate for you. I will fight for you. I will be there for you. You know, there's so many times when I didn't have an advocate that I didn't have someone there. You know, when I was having Gabby in the hospital, my oldest, I was 16. You know, I was just No, I just turned 17 and I was having her and I was so confused because I didn't know what was happening. Mm. They told me I had all these things going wrong, complications happening. Um, I didn't know uh, my lungs were filling with fluid. That was one thing that my ex-husband sure did in the hospital. My lungs were filling in fluid. I told him I can't breathe There's something wrong. He was telling them and telling them the nurse was was done with her shift. She was just over it. The next one came in and he finally yelled at them and said, you know, he said a lot of choice words, but there is something wrong with her. She is dying. They checked my lungs and they were 75% full of fluid. And they would not listen to me if he hadn't been there. So, you know, in that moment, my husband, my ex-husband saved my life. They were not checking. They were like, oh, well, did you use the bathroom? I said, yeah. And you're supposed to keep track of how much you use the bathroom. And it Mm -hmm. was literally maybe a cup full and they were pumping me all night, Mm. nothing. And that's when they were like, we need to have an emergency C-section. We need to hurry up and get you in. I had no one there, but him, my mom wasn't there. It Mm. was, I had no advocate and it was so, it was just terrifying. And then I didn't get to meet her for weeks because she ended up going into NICU um, Mm. because I was so early. And so there was, you know, I tell my kids this, always need an advocate and I will always be your advocate. I will be here to fight for you. I will believe you. I will trust you. You know, you just need someone to tell you those things. For sure. And then teach them how to be their own advocate too, to be able to stand up for themselves, to be able to fight for what they know is right, to be able to fight for others and be an advocate for somebody else, just like you are showing them. Exactly. You know, and that comes back to what you said earlier was our self-esteem, our Mm -hmm. self-worth, how that so much of our childhood, so much of our relationship, it can just tear that down. You know, it just 
it wears you out and it wears on you and wears on you. And it starts to reflect in the way that you treat yourself, in the way that you treat your body and what you put into your body and how you have relationships. It's just everywhere. Yep. You know, we settle so much for what we think we deserve. And so once I found out who this Jesus was, once I found out who these Christians were, it was, okay, I think I'm ready to start dating again. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I've been single for three years, um, three and a half years. And it was, okay, I think I'm ready to start kind of getting out there. So I get on a website. It was a, a Christian dating website. I meet an incredible man, but guess what? I still didn't know to have how to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. ended up rushing into it too fast ended up running away from it freaking out and just it was a turmoil um he was raised in a christian home um he is a christian and so he was very patient and and so when we ended up dating again a year and a half we get married things are okay um but i was still he has spent and i tell him this he has spent our marriage basically helped building me up because of how long I was torn down mm -hmm. and I told him that's not fair to him. Um, and he said, well, I don't care about fair. Um, that's what but, you do when you love somebody. Exactly. And, you know, before we even, you know, we're in serious dating, I told him I might go blind one day. Um, because you know, my eyes are so big. Um, they are formed. So, so genetically my eyes are huge. And your eyes don't ever stop growing. So you have to be careful. So, you know, when my ex-husband threw the keys at my face, it was the trauma that caused a rupture because they were already so big mm. for him open. And wow. so, my, you know, I, I had to tell him that, like, you know, genetically, but two of my children have very large eyes also. So the doctor has warned them also, you need to take care of them. Your eyes are just mm -hmm. um, And so it's always stretching the lens around them. And so I told him that he said, okay, that's fine. Like that. I'm not, I'm not marrying you because of, I don't want to date you because of your eye, you know, because then, you know, you, you might not be able to see that. He, yeah. he made a, he goes, oh, well then I guess I can get real fat. You know, that was, his, <laughs> you know, of course. So, uh. um, but he taught me, you know, that there's still relationships after this and I could trust someone again. Yeah. I could a man and that there was men out there who were not what I had just seen my whole life. Mm. I trust a man at church, even these Christian men. I always thought there was something behind them. Yeah. There's something secretly there's something. And, and I realized that that was something I still need to heal through was just this, a uh, comfort to be around men in general. Mm -hmm. Like that's not normal. It's not, no, it's normal. hard when you've been hurt so many times by so many different men that that just gets ingrained into you that you're just your assumption of that's how all men are. And even when you see one who isn't acting like that, then you're thinking that is just the one exception. Like the others are all still like that. There's only one exception. Exactly. And that's what I thought, you know, like these, oh, this, there's something else behind them. There's a, but it's funny how my mind didn't do that to women because my mom yeah. did the exact same thing, mm. you know? And so over time, you know, I started realizing that I needed to work through this. Mm -hmm. This was something I needed to repent of. I started to look at different men in scripture 
there are good men in scripture. There are good, solid fathers. Joseph was a wonderful father and husband mm. to Mary. You know, like I started to look at these and say, okay, you know, there's some bad examples in there of some men. Yes, of course. Sure, it's humans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's some good ones in there. And those were, oh, then these. And so I started to meet and God started to bring different men into my life that helped me start to recognize that I always craved that father figure, that I always mm -hmm. wanted my daughters to have grandfathers and uncles and to have good relationships with men too. And not for me to project my fear onto my girls because God also gave me sons. Mm. I have two boys yeah, and that would not be fair to them for them to be raised and thinking just because mm. of who they biologically are, that somehow that mm. means that they're, you know, what all these other men are or what I thought they were. Right. Yeah. And so that relationship just had to start to grow. And that was just, you know, part of the healing. And when you start to heal your heart and you start mm -hmm. to re reflect on your outer. Yep. And it's just mm -hmm. been so incredible because I went from, you know, being very severely overweight, being pre-diabetic to now being the healthiest I've ever been. Mm -hmm. um, I now run. I'm actively running, um, training for 10K right now. Like these are just different things that my body has now started to follow because my heart started to heal. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. How to, I think about on women who have had that, such that, that self-esteem and that, that such that negative view of themselves and believing that they deserved the way they were treated and that sort of thing. And as they grow, you've been growing, you know, grown so much into being able to trust men and in this beautiful relationship um, with your now husband who has been, uh, you know, a godsend for you and has helped build you up and build you up and build you up. Um, and being that advocate for our, our daughters, how then also have you grown internally in how you view yourself and how you're becoming an advocate for yourself and how we've talked on this podcast many times about our thoughts, how powerful they are and all the things that we say to ourselves, um, how that is either tearing us up or tearing us up, <laughs> building us up or tearing us down. And scripture tells us, you know, the power of life and death is in the tongue and how important our, our words are and our thoughts are. Cause when we speak, we're either, when I say to myself, you're not worth this or you are worthless, you don't deserve, um, any happiness that you don't deserve better than this, you know, of course they treated you this way, you know, you shouldn't expect anything else, you know, once again, you're a failure, you know, all those things that you're tearing your body down spiritually, physically, like you're completely telling, tearing yourself down. But whenever you change that, you can hear it from other people over and over and again. Like, I know your husband has helped so much building you up, building you up, building up, building you up. But until you believe it inside and you start saying that too, that's when you really see that change. And I'm I'm curious how that's been for you on changing the way you think and the way you talk about yourself and to yourself. So I love that you said that. Um, one thing that my husband did say to me was, it doesn't actually matter what you think to yourself. It's what does God say about you? What does God say? Who, who does God say that you are? And who do you believe God it? 
exactly. And so reading scripture and reading over and over and over again and, and just filling yourself with the word of God, he's going to drown out so much of what you you think because his words are powerful. His words are holy. His words. And so if I keep hearing and saying, God, God says this about you. God says that about you. Jesus died for you. And I'm saying that to myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying over and over and over that starts to fill you up and you're filling your cup up with the right things to where you almost don't have room for those other thoughts where you don't have room for those. And that affects the way that you, you treat your body too. You know, mm-hmm. it, we could go into a whole nother thing about how food affects our mind, right? Yeah. And how your nutrition and your gut health. Well, when you start to think about how God says to treat your body, and you start to treat it right, then then your mind, your mood, all these things follow. Yep. And I, I like affirmations. So I like when when you're working out, when you're producing these endorphins, when you're when you're exercising, when you're running, when you're doing these things, and telling yourself, I am powerful, I am strong, I am running, I can do these things. I can't and just over and over and over. And then you surround yourself with other people who are advocates for themselves. You know, you and I became friends partly because I walked into your co-op and you were just so bold and so like, hey, you know, hi, I am a Don. And, and just, you know, just who you are, you know, your presence, your light, it was just a reflection of just, this is who I am. And so I, and so, I was like, I like her. Like I, I, that's someone I want to be around. That's someone I want to spend time with. That's someone who, who, you know, comes off as very um, secure with themselves. And I like that. And if I'm around someone like that, that helps me do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And it, and so I just kept reading. um, There's a wonderful book out there that really did help me a lot with just like who I am. And it's, um, Oh, now I'm going blank because now I have to think about it. Um, But it was just basically talking about like who we are, who we're called to be as women. Mm -hmm. Um, That really helped me because my worth is not found in, and it's my worth is not found in my size. My worth is not found in, you know, my weight. My worth is not found in my, any of my abilities. My worth is found in Christ. And so when I go before the father He's not going to see me. He's going to see Jesus yep. because he asked for me. That's he, who's he, he sees you. He sees you for who he created you to be, not what you think you might be or how you think all of these things have led up to you being, but he sees you for who he created you to be in the first place. And he yeah. sees you through a lens that is completely different than our perspective, than the lens that, that, that we view we can switch it to that view but it doesn't start out that way we have such a narrow you know we, we can only see so far he mm-hmm. has eternal perspective yep. you know he, he sees it and so when we realize you know that this isn't you know this this isn't our home this is not our home you know we when we have an eternal view of things it does make it easier to to forgive those who harmed you yeah. Because you, you have to get to a place of forgiveness. If you're not there yet, you have to, have to forgive. I forgive my stepdad. I remember thinking, 
I remember praying that, okay, God, I pray that I can genuinely pray to forgive my stepdad. Mm-hmm. It was I pray to forgive him. It was, I pray that I can genuinely pray to get there because mm-hmm. I'm not even there where that's a genuine prayer yet. Yeah. It, it had to get to that point. I had to forgive. I had to, because it was not only a recognition of, of the forgiveness that I've received, mm-hmm. but it was also keeping me stuck. Yep. And, and so you have to forgive. And when you forgive, you have to do it like Jesus said, when Peter says, how many times? Seven, you know, seven times seven, 77, no, 77 times 77 times. It just, the, the point there was the principle was you keep forgiving. There's no number of times. And it doesn't right? mean That's- that you put yourself in harm's way again. It doesn't mean that you put yourself back into a situation that is not healthy, that is not good for you, but it means that you're not going to keep holding on um, to those hurts and to those traumas and to those things that, that happened to you, but that you are looking from at it from a perspective that is not just in the moment that is not just recognizing this thing but is recognizing a bigger picture and it's really getting to the heart of of the compassion that Christ showed us to have towards each other you know really that to uh, and there's been people that I've I've prayed about as well um that I'm just like lord help give me the compassion that I need to even be able to pray for this person because right now I don't have that. Like I, if I went to in prayer about this person, it would not, it would not be a heartfelt prayer. It would not be, you know, me really wanting better for them or wanting to, you know, help them in any way. It would, would be completely just idle words. And I don't ever want that to be the case. I want to have the compassion and to really, you know, have a, a heartfelt, um, God perspective of the situation to know, like, I am not going to put myself in it. Maybe I never need to speak to that person ever again in my life. That is okay. But I'm not holding that situation in anymore. I'm not, you know, holding anything against them. I understand that their perspective and where they're coming from is completely different than what I see. And I have compassion on that person or for that person again, but I'm not putting myself in a situation where my children in a situation that would not be safe for them. And that would not be healthy for them whatsoever. So don't, don't anybody listening, do not misunderstand. Forgiveness does not mean putting yourself back into a harmful situation. Um, get yourself out of that situation and, you know, work on a healthy, um, safe environment for yourself. And then that's part of our mental, spiritual work that, that you do as you're growing and you're learning and you're healing is working on that forgiveness piece. Cause it, it does, it does harm us when we keep holding that stuff in because we can't move past it. We can't grow and we can't learn and be able to open ourselves up to these relationships that are before us. That could be beautiful relationships. When we hold on to that unforgiveness and we hold on to those hurts that those other people's have caused in our lives, then, then we don't allow ourselves to really be vulnerable, which you have to be in a real relationship with people. You have to be vulnerable. Um, otherwise it's all a facade and we end up with just all these, these 
um, these real, these friends, you know, that you have in these relationships that aren't nothing but on the surface. They don't really know you. They don't really um, know the depth of you, what you've been through your life. And, and really that intentionality that we talked about, like really getting to know somebody, really knowing them as a person and not just this facade. And I think it's funny that you mentioned um, back when we first met, because I, what was it, two years ago now, maybe? Um, I'm trying to remember, but two or three years ago, I don't remember. Um, I think it's really interesting that that's what you saw. And that, that, I mean, that makes me happy that, you know, obviously that the Lord was shining through in me, but so much has changed since then. Like, I feel like I have grown so much into um, the person realizing who that person is that God created me to be and really stepping into such more confident person and really walking out this um, life of compassion and love and boldness in Christ that I didn't feel like I had at all when we first met. So I think that's really interesting. Oh, that makes me laugh because yeah. you, you did. You're always bold to me. I think you're mm. just bold now <laughs> you I, forgiving does not mean forgetting mm-hmm. and it does mean again going back into that yeah. you know I would not ever put my daughter's back around their you know their their father I would n- never allow that relationship to happen you know mm-hmm. now my husband has adopted my girls as his own and uh, my ex-husband signed over his rights um just you know he he didn't make a fight about it he just said, okay, like, that's what you want. That's fine. You know, it was just, he hadn't seen them in seven years. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't this big ordeal or dramatic event. Mm-hmm. It for, for us or for them, the girls just don't even have to know really, they know who he is, but they know that that's not his father. And I don't ever talk about him in a derogatory way with them. They have memories, they, um, but I'm not ever going to put them back in that situation. They, mm-hmm. I, I don't around certain family members mm-hmm. I have forgiven them but I won't take my children around them yeah and me too you know because I, I may not be able to prove what happened but I know what happened exactly yeah and so I I do that I have forgiven them but I, that doesn't mean allow someone to do that to you exactly or, so you asked me earlier how do I advocate for myself now and it's falling back to don't be afraid of people and what they might think or what they might say. Mm-hmm. So when invited to different parties with, with family, when I get invited to do, when I know who's going to be there, I'm okay saying, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not, that's not something we want to do. Mm-hmm. I used to think, well, they'll be upset with me or they'll be. And, and at the end of the day, I'm going to put my children and my family in an uncomfortable situation because someone might be upset with me. No, no. You value no. yourself and your children way more than what somebody might think. Exactly. And again, that comes back to where is your value? Mm-hmm. Where is your worth? Where does that come from? You know, there's um, a song by Lauren Daigle. I, I love it. I listen to it is, you know, who you say I am. You yes. know, it, it's beautiful. And it's our daughters should hear that. Yeah. You know, our son should hear that. We should know that. And so when you don't feel worthy, when you don't feel, you know, we get in through those moments. We are on this side of heaven. We are. So we're going to have days. You find out, well, who does God say I am? 
You listen to beautiful music because music is such an important part of our lives. Um, you listen to something that tells you and then you you look at yourself and you look in the mirror and you tell yourself, yep. you know, I am worthy. You sometimes have- sometimes it's a matter of just starting that out just and it sounds maybe it sounds silly to you at first, right? Maybe it sounds weird to come out of your mouth to even look in the mirror and say that I've had my girls do that before look in that mirror right now. And I want you to say this, you know, and they're like, okay. And then they say it and they're like, no, I want you to say it again. I'm like, why do I keep repeating this mom? I'm like, cause I haven't yet been convinced that you believe it. And I need to hear you believe these words. I need you to believe these things because this is the truth. I need you to stop believing the lies because we get so entrenched in those lies for so long that we've heard them, whether it's somebody else telling them to us, whether it's us saying them to ourselves, but we, it becomes a habit that we've had those lies said over and over and over. And so we have to stop and we have to um, create new habits. And so, and we create those new thoughts that we know is the truth, that we are drenched in the truth and we believe it to our core what the truth is i believe that i i am beautifully and wonderfully made i am believe i believe that i was worth dying for i believe that i was a beautiful creation i am a beautiful creation by the lord and and there is no price except for death worthy of me you can't buy it it's not possible like i believe that i was meant to do something beautiful with my life. Like I was created for this exact purpose at this exact time in the timeline of humanity to be here at this moment to do what I'm doing at this moment. I believe with a passion that that Christ has put me exactly where I'm supposed to be. Sorry, I had to mute it. <laughs> I have children. wonderful beautiful children (laughs) wonderful beautiful children I was like um hold on and so yeah we have we are moms we know that and I think that's what is it is a beautiful and wonderful thing um that and again you found out where you found out all these things from where from the word of God right exactly and believing the word and believing who he says I am and knowing that, knowing it in my heart and, and then acting out from that perspective instead of acting out. I think it's really interesting because, um, as you know, my husband is, is a police sergeant and there have been studies done that show that um, you, can, you can tell somebody who either has been a victim or will easily be a victim just from their walk. So they've done some studies just observing, just observing people on the street and observing the way they walk. And that tells either if they've had trauma, they've had abuse, or they're going to be a very easy victim of that abuse. And I think it's really interesting because when we look at the word, we see walk boldly, walk confidently, know who you are, right? And the people who are victims don't walk like that. Walk with their head down. Walk with their shoulders slumped. Walk with a heaviness about them. And I think that's really interesting that even just the way you carry yourself um, says a lot about you and about what you believe to be true about yourself. Wow. I didn't know that. That makes sense. Yeah. That does. Make sense. When you, when you know, 
you know, I am, no one's going to take advantage of me here. Yeah. You walk the strength. And when yeah. you rely on God to protect you and to show you and to guide you, there's a strength about the way that you carry yourself. Yep. And you can see people who carry themselves with confidence. And, you know, it, it's just, you, you start to tell yourself these things and that stuff follows. Yeah. Your walk follow your, your self image will follow the way that you, you speak to yourself. It will follow, but you just have to start somewhere. Yeah. Yep. So if and you're in that relationship and you're surrounded by people who are treating you that way, then just say, no, I don't deserve, I don't deserve to be talked to like this. No, I don't deserve to be cheated on. I don't deserve to be physically, mentally, emotionally abused. I don't deserve these things. And my children don't deserve these things. My friends don't deserve these things. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. That is not normal. If there's one thing that I could sh- shout out from the rooftops, it's that's not normal. You know, growing up thinking everyone goes through this. No, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. The, it doesn't have to stay that way. Yeah. Yeah. And with that listeners, if anybody out there right now um, is in a situation where they're struggling to be able to advocate for themselves, to stand up for themselves, um, I'm going to give you right now, this is the the domestic violence hotline. It's 1-800-799-SAFE. Um, that's S-A-F-E or 7233. Um, you can call them 24-7 and they will not only um, help help you give you some resources and um, advocate for you. They will also find local resources for you. And you can also text them if you're not at a place where you can can make a phone call. Um, you can text START, S-T-A-R-T, that's 88788 um, to um, the same phone number. And they will also be able to chat with you there. So I just want to encourage you um, to do that online. Um, the same domestic abuse hotline is the hotline.org. Um, so if you happen to be in a situation like that and, um, feel like there's, there's not a way that you're able to get out for one call authorities. Um, I highly encourage you to do that. And, um, for two, you know, call this hotline to get yourself some help, find you some resources. Um, locally, if you, we will link below, um, the resource that Jocelyn talked about the, the home that she was able to go stay at with her girls is in the, the Midland, Texas area. And I will put a link in the show notes for that. If you happen to be in that area and, um, needing some resources there and needing some help to get out of where you are. And I encourage you to, there are, um, there are near us, there's, there's something called the swallows nest and, um, it's, it's a beautiful place, um, for women to be able to go to in the Abilene area and Sweetwater area. And, uh, I just encourage you, even if you're not in a situation where you feel like emergency, um, help is needed, you can still call your local police station and they will help you with resources um, to um, be an advocate for you because that's something that they are committed to as well. Um, so I just want to encourage anybody out there who might be going um, through something like that. And I think, um, thank you, Jocelyn, for sharing your story of um, just so much um, that you've overcame and in your journey and, and just what a what a beautiful um, picture I see of just 
being able to overcome the struggles that you've had and these, these major traumas and major, um, issues to have some major victories, um, to be able to, you know, know who you are, to be able to walk in, um, this new creation that you are, um, in Christ and be able to share that testimony with others. I just really thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much for having me on and, and talking about it. Um, for a long time, I, I didn't talk about it for a long time. There was shame and thinking I, I stayed. And then the embarrassment of he, he had to kick me out in order mm-hmm. for me to, and I think that was the greatest thing he ever did for us. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm. It caused a, a big change in your life. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm very thankful for that change in your life. Is there um, any last words, any any last thing that you would like to impart upon the listeners? Um, just remember, remember that you aren't alone. Um, you know, going through this, um, speaking honestly and open about it. I've met so many others who thought they were alone. And that is something that, I think we just, we think that we're going through so much and we have to hide and we have to just not talk about it. But when you don't mm-hmm. talk about things, that gives someone else the power to sweep it under the rug. That gives someone else the power to say this, this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just never feel like you are alone. Never feel like you have to hide things um, and and just allow the healing to start allow it to to start working um open your bible and read what god says about you mm-hmm. you know read that he he knit you in the womb and he knows the amount of hairs on your head and that blow your mind mm-hmm. just hear him when he says i know who you are i've created you this way mm-hmm. and and just know that he's not done with you that there's still so much so much for you out there um and that you know you are not defined by your past thank you for listening may you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today remember you are dearly loved by your creator so be who he created you to be may you go in peace friends till next time shalom